may be seated this morning. It's a story of the Bible that Jesus Christ rose from the grave because he rose and defeated sin. We too may one day rise with him if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus for our salvation. Boy, if you'd love to see somebody get saved today, say amen. I would love to see that this morning when give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope you pray for that and if been expecting that this week. That song they sang, I've been after uh, a little while to sing that one. That uh, Usually I just let Cecil kind of do his thing, but that's one that about a year ago really spoke to me. I'd never heard it before, and uh, I was at a conference. I don't go to a lot of conferences, but I was at a conference in a moment when I was really low. Uh, that song spoke to my heart that the Lord Jesus had overcome the grave and that when he saved me, I came out of the grave. And sometimes the devil defeats us and gets us depressed. But we don't need to live like we're in the grave anymore. We need to live like we're headed to heaven uh, and reflect that in our life. Let me ask you a question this morning. You ever heard the phrase, courage under fire? Courage under fire. If you've ever heard that phrase before, courage under fire, lift your hand up. How many have heard that? So a very familiar phrase, the phrase courage under fire. Assume this morning that most people in this room are familiar with the phrase courage under fire. And I don't know what you think about when you hear that phrase, but when I do, I first think about those that are in combat, those who are being assaulted, uh, being attacked, uh, either in combat or maybe a, a police officer or possibly even a firefighter, someone that uh, is in a position of danger, but they do not flee, and in fact, they keep their uh, mental capacities working correctly, making right decisions, even as everything else around them uh, is going haywire. Courage under fire. People that manage to keep their composure, and the fighting gets intense. Of course, in our language, we give that a little broader meaning. meaning. Courage under fire doesn't just have to be a soldier or a police officer uh, or someone in that line of work. When we say courage under fire, we could also mean someone that is sticking to their convictions. Uh, biblically, someone that is continuing to follow the Word of God and what it clearly teaches even as the tide turns around them or against them. When moments are difficult, those who do right uh, are those who have courage under fire. This morning's text, we're going to get a glimpse of a Christian, a leader, we might call him a hero of the Christian church, a deacon named Stephen who maintained courage under fire. So turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 6 and let's read some verses together. We'll read a little bit in uh, chapter 6 and a little bit in chapter 7 uh, and I'll summarize a little bit of what goes on in chapter 7. It's rather lengthy so I'm not going to try to read it all today, but I want us to start in Acts chapter 6, looking at verse 8, and I want us to see this Christian martyr, this Christian deacon, Stephen, who shows us what it's like for the Holy Spirit to empower us uh, to have courage under fire. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. We saw last week that Stephen was ordained, uh, you could say, to the, to, the, to the ministry. He had his hands laid upon him, and he was set aside uh, for the ministry uh, of a deacon. And uh, it says 
Uh, by the way, I didn't say this last week. Let me say this. Um, Stephen did not receive the Holy Ghost when the hands were laid upon him. He already had that at salvation. And you say, how do we know that? And I didn't, I didn't point this out last week. And I just, in my own personal study this week, I thought, I need to point this out about Stephen. Actually, look at verse 3 with me first. I want you to see what happened. When they were looking for deacons in the church, they were told, Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. So Stephen already was walking in the power of the Holy Ghost before those hands were laid upon him. But uh, he was walking faithfully in the Holy Ghost, and he was showing wisdom because apparently he was a man that was obedient you know, to the Spirit of God that was within him. So verse, so verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue. We've seen this group before, the sort of uh, mixture of political and religious power there uh, in Israel. Right? you got the Romans that are kind of the intruders that... Uh, are over everything, and then they've worked out this arrangement with the religious and political leaders of Israel. And so the synagogue uh, there is religious uh, side of things. There arose a certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, of then of, of uh, Cecilia of Asia. They disputed with Stephen. So they get together, and there in the synagogue, uh, in this gathering place, they have a debate, we might say. They they have a back and forth about uh, this gospel that Stephen is preaching. And it says, these people that were debating with Stephen, it says in verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So what did they do then? Well, then they, some born men, or they got men which said, we have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they caught him and they brought him to the council. So they take him to the big dogs. And they set up, verse 13 says, false witnesses, which said, this man cease not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him and saw his face. Uh, there was a, an assurance, a confidence, a glow that was there. And they said when they looked at his face, it, it was as if, as if it had been the face of an angel. This, he, he was so confident in what he was saying about Jesus that he gave off the air, not just of an earthly messenger, right? What is an angel? That literally means a messenger from God. An angel is a messenger from God. And he is so confident in the message of Jesus that he's preaching that they said looking at him is as if they were not seeing a mortal anymore, but they were seeing an angel sent directly from the throne of God. Chapter 1 of verse 7 says, Then said the high priest, that's as high as you can get there, right? The high priest said, are these things so? Are these things they're accusing you of, this blasphemy, is it so? And he said to them, men, brethren, fathers, hearken or listen. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he de uh, dwelt in 
Sharan. And then he's going to go from Abraham uh, to Jacob and Isaac and to Joseph. And he's going to go down into Moses. And he's then going to take him to David. And he's going to take him to Solomon. And basically, as they ask him, is this blasphemy true? He preaches. He uses the opportunity as the messenger from God. The one who was so confident that his face looked like an angel from the throne room. He delivers a message explaining to them their history. And if you go this afternoon, I encourage you to do it. Read read chapter 7, the, the rest of it. And he's going to give them this discussion about how over and over again the people turned from the light that God gave them. But there was always a remnant. There was always an Abraham or a Moses or a Joseph or a Jacob or a David or a Solomon who strived to do what God wanted. And then he's going to, in this sermon, he's going to kind of bring it home. Look in chapter 7 at verse 48. So he preaches this great sermon that I'll let you read this afternoon. He preaches this great sermon about the heroes of the faith. And then in verse 47 he says that Solomon built him a house. Solomon built this temple, this earthly temple, and he says Solomon's the one that that built this temple that's in dispute. And he said, how be it, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As said the prophet, and he's going to quote from the Old Testament, heaven is my throne. God has said, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Have not my hands made all things? And so he says, listen, the temple was there uh, to, to remind you of what God had done and to point you forward to what God was going to do, this coming of the Messiah. He said, but don't ever forget that at the end of the day, ultimately, it's not about this temple. It's really about the Lord God who is the Lord over the temple. And then he's gone. he's been in the sermon just kind of discussing and debating, and now he's going to lay down a word of conviction. And he's going to lay down a word of judgment on these ones that had judged Jesus and killed Jesus who are now judging him for preaching about Jesus. Listen to what he tells his crowd. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You may have the ultimate or the outward circumcision, You may outwardly have been cut on, but inwardly your heart is hard against God and it's not been cut on. It needs to be operated on. And remember, he's saying this to the chief priest. He says, you do always, verse 51, resist the Holy Ghost. You don't listen when the Spirit of God moves. You will not receive it as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets... Have not your fathers persecuted? Uh, You say you're of Moses. And he says, wrong. You're not of Moses. You're of that crowd that is always persecuted and harmed and hurt the prophets of God. Which of the prophets have you not your fathers persecuted? They have slain them which showed before. Those that tried to point the way to the coming of the just one. Of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. He says, listen, your fathers killed the ones that told about the coming Messiah. And now that he came, you're the ones that finished the job and actually killed the just one. Verse 53. Betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. It says he looked as if he was an angel. And he says, there's actually been messengers from God that have delivered the truth and you would not believe them and you would not keep it. Your fathers would not. 
And so are they going to listen to this one who's preaching with authority as if he was from the throne of God himself? Will they listen to him or not? Verse 54, we see whether they will listen to him. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. They get in a violent rage. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, so everything around him is going crazy. They're about to slaughter him and kill him, but he gets a vision of God and of Jesus at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they ran upon him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city. They cast him out and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. You'll want to remember that name. He's going to come up over and over again in the book of Acts. They stoned Stephen. And what did Stephen do while they did this? They stoned Stephen, but he called upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice. This is so much like Jesus. He was so in tune to his master that his last words are going to be very similar to Jesus's. Uh, some of the last words that Jesus was to say from the cross. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. This morning from the book of Acts, we see the first Christian martyr. Now there are two types of martyrs in the world. Uh, we're all too familiar in this day and age with the reality of one type of martyr. The, the suicide uh, bomber would be an example. That is one type of martyr who kill themselves, uh, but the goal of killing themselves is to kill another group of people in the process. And that's one type of martyr, someone that uh, gives their, takes their life, they take their own life, in the process they uh, blow up a building or, 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 or cause havoc among a group of people. That's one type of martyr. There's another type, and Stephen is the second type. The other type of martyr, the one that Stephen is like, is the one who dies for his beliefs because someone else kills him. One type of martyr takes his own life and in the process kills other. The other type of martyr is one who he's not interested in killing anybody, but he is killed by other people for his beliefs because they cannot stand those beliefs and what they represent. This morning we see, so far as I know, the first recorded follower of Jesus who has died for the faith. And there have been many others like Stephen who have died faithfully worshiping Jesus. We say, uh, not in this country. Well, it's happened in this country not long ago. My mother's from South Carolina. Not long ago, a group of black Christians were murdered in Charleston, South Carolina. They were murdered at church. Now, it was a little bit different. They were targeted, if you remember this, because of their race. The man who killed them, Dylan Roof, came to their Bible study. If you haven't read about this, you should look it up and read Roof's own uh, testimony that he gave uh, to those that interrogated him. Dylan Roof came to a Bible study 
of a predominantly black church in Charleston, South Carolina, came to their Bible studies, sat in their midst, and then slaughtered them. Ruth, I read this, Ruth said later that he almost didn't do it. That he got there that day at the church, and he sat among the mix, in the midst of those people that were studying the word of God like we do at our church. And he, uh, he went there by his own testimony, hoping to spark a race war. And he told them later, those that interrogated him, he almost didn't do it. You know why he said he didn't do it? He said, when I got in the Bible study, those people were so nice to me. They were so nice to me that I almost didn't do what I had shown up that day to do. My friends, the devil would love to see a race war. He definitely does not want to see a Bible study. Amen? The church is a target. The devil does not want to see sinners saved, whether it's a a church that's predominantly like ours. We kind of reflect our community predominantly Caucasian. Or whether it's predominantly black or whether it's a mixed church. The devil does not want to see sinners saved. He does not want to see lives transformed. He does not want to see people like Dylan Roof who have become addicted to to drugs and, and through the internet have just read all types of lies. The devil does not want to see people like that change. He does not want to see the outpost of the kingdom of Jesus spread through the church. Whether it is the first century or this century, the devil opposes the people of God, especially When those people are dedicated to seeing the will of God lived out. So this morning we see four qualities in Stephen that we need to possess. That we need to ask and pray for the Lord God to build up in us. So that we may also be men and women who can exhibit courage under fire. Let me show you four things that stick out to me from this text qualities that Stephen has that we need to uh, try to have in our own lives through the Holy Spirit's power that we need to pass on to the next generation that my little boys that are growing up need to see in our church. Let me show you these four things. Number one, courage under spiritual fire requires boldness. Stephen was a bold man. Courage under spiritual fire demands boldness. Just say that one word after me. Say boldness. Stephen has a lot of reasons to be afraid, and yet he shows boldness. Why is he able to show the boldness that he does? He's able to show this boldness because he's in tune to the Spirit of God, and he's more concerned with what the Lord would have him do than he is about what others think. He knows where his true strength lies. It's not in his eloquence. It's not in his personal abilities. That's why the Bible stresses it several times in those two chapters. He is linked in to the Spirit of God, and he is depending on the Holy Spirit to do what he cannot. Now, some of you this week, and maybe some of you for your whole Christian life, and maybe some of you it's been here and there, but here's the reality. Some of you today have forgotten the power that the Lord Jesus has given you by giving His very Spirit to be with you this next week. Sometimes we need to read from a life like Stephen and his boldness to remind us of the power that is possible in our lives when we are listening and obeying the Holy Spirit. There is no power greater than God. 
And that is the power that he's given us through the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I like it a little bit. And uh, there was a great pitcher when I was growing up. He's retired now. And his name was Roger Clemens. And I, I used to watch the love Roger Clemens play because, man, Roger Clemens, I mean, he could throw a fastball that was so fast and just so amazingly fast. And so when I was a boy, I used to love to watch him uh, pitch. And when he was a young guy, he pitched, he pitched for the Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox. And he made his first all-star team. And he made his first all-star team. Something funny happened. Now, he played in the, um, there's two divisions, American League and National League. And he played in the American League. And at that time, the American League pitchers did not bat. They had what they called a designated here. Pitchers did not bat. But in the National League, the other division, the pitchers had to hit. So in the All-Star game, Roger Clemens found himself having to do something he hadn't had to do in a long time. He had to get up to bat and try to hit the ball during the All-Star game. And he got up there, and he tells a story. He got up there to hit that ball. And it's something he never has to do. He gets up there to hit that ball, and the pitcher threw a fastball. And it went so fast by him, he couldn't believe he couldn't believe how fast it went by him. And he looked at the catcher, and he said, is that what my pitches look like coming through that fast? And the pitcher said, oh, yeah. He said, oh, yeah, that's what it looks like. Now, I don't think Roger Clemens hit the ball that day at the, at the All-Star game, but he said that for the next few years, he pitched harder and better and with more confidence that and he had in a while. And you know why he said it was because that one at bat, because when I got up to bat and I watched somebody else throw that ball, how hard it was, and I realized how fast it was going, he said the next time I got up to pitch, I realized if I throw that ball as fast as that guy did, there's no way they can hit it. He got bold on the mound because he remembered the power that he had in his arm. Church, it's time that we get bold because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we see in Stephen a boldness. We see that this is a man uh, that is able to be bold because he knows the power of God. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit within him. So you say, how are we going to have courage under fire? We're going to need boldness. We're going to need boldness. Stephen was bold because Jesus had promised the first disciples that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, would come and remind them of Jesus' promises and his teachings. And it also been promised that the Holy Spirit would empower them to proclaim Jesus to the world. That had been promised to the first disciples. Well, that promise, thankfully, wasn't just good for the first disciples. It was good for Stephen, and it's also good for you and me because the Father's mission has not changed. We are to go and to preach and proclaim, to confront the sins of this world, and offer the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. So courage under spiritual fire requires boldness. And secondly, courage under spiritual fire requires loyalty. Loyalty? Now, boldness I get, but what do you mean you got to be loyal if you're going to have courage under spiritual fire? It's probably been six or seven years since I've told this story. Those that are in my dad's Sunday school class, he's, he's probably shared it before. But my dad, he didn't talk a lot about Vietnam growing up. He was a Vietnam veteran. And he didn't talk a lot about it. But when I became a teenager, he started more to tell stories when my friends would come over and spend the night. My dad began to tell some stories about things that went on uh, in Vietnam. Now, I, I later kind of figured out one reason he didn't tell the stories when I was a boy is because, honestly, a lot of the stuff that 
he saw and, and went on is not the kind of thing you'd, you'd want to tell children about. But when I got to get older, he started, he started kind of telling the stories. And he, ha- he has this one story that he tells. And he was just a, a farm kid from Florida. And uh, he, he was not some gung-ho, hey, I want to go kill people. And, you know, it was not a dream of his to do this. And, but, you know, he got drafted to go serve his country. And so he, he went, you know, the way their mind worked. You really didn't have an option. If you were drafted, that was your respons- responsibility. And so he, he went to Vietnam, and he tells the story that he got there. And uh, they were building a base. He got there kind of uh, 64, 65, somewhere in there, kind of early. And they were, this place in the jungle, they were building a base for their operations. And uh, one day, he hadn't been there very long, and it was his time to go out and do, I guess, what you'd call guard duty. And guard duty meant you had to go outside the base, and you had to get out in the jungle so far, and they had different guards that were walking walking around uh, in the jungle. So they are building this base up, and he's got to go out on guard duty. And he went out there, and they told him how far he had to go, where he had to walk to, and had to walk back. In the first hour or two hours, I don't know how long, that it's his responsibility. You know, Dad said he just took a couple of steps, and he didn't go any further. Now, he was out in the middle of the jungle, uh, scared to death. The enemy's out there, and he said, I, I, didn't, I didn't go any further. He said, I just stayed within a couple of feet uh, of there. He said, I didn't, I, didn't go, I didn't go out there where I was supposed to. Well, rest a little bit. Next time, come around. And he said he got out there, and he started thinking about his country, and he started thinking about his mom and dad back home, and he started thinking about his responsibility as an American, and he said, he just prayed to God, and he said, God, I'm not going to be a coward, and many, many soldiers have prayed this prayer before and after he prayed the prayer. He said, I'm not going to be a coward. They're not going to write home and say that I died a coward, and dad said he began to walk out uh, through the jungle. And he always laughs when he tells this story. He said, I started walking through the jungle, and I was scared to death, 19-year-old kid, far away from home. And remember, my dad, it wasn't like me and my family growing up. I think maybe in his life he took maybe one or two trips outside of Florida. One was to see a cousin across, you know, in Georgia. So he had, until Vietnam, I mean, he hadn't really been anywhere. Now he's halfway across the world. He's out there in the jungle, and he says, I was walking. And he said, there's something else they did. They had us just kind of do the guard duty, he said, but uh, there were men that were actually doing a lot of walking around with dogs that were trying to sniff out the enemy. And he said, I was walking, and one of those guys that had those dogs saw me, and I guess he let the dog loose. And he goes, it scared me to death. I thought I you know, was going to die, all this stuff. And he goes, the guy that had it come up and started laughing. He said, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, I'm on guard duty. And I wasn't going to be a coward, and so I'm out here where I'm supposed to be. And he goes, you are the only guy so far that has walked out here into this jungle and done this. Why? Why? There's some things you'll never accomplish if you're not loyal to something greater than yourself. Amen? You won't. You won't. And so here's the reality. And I know in this sermon series there's been some really in your face messages but the reality is if you're not loyal to Jesus there's really no halfway there's no sitting on the fence because when you're faced with the kind of things young people that Stephen is faced with if you're going to maintain the courage under fire you better you better be loyal 
to Jesus Christ. You better be loyal to his cause. You say, how can I have courage under spiritual fire? Number one, you need boldness. Number two, you need loyalty. Go back and look at verses chapter 7, 54 through 59. Look what it says. When they heard these things, when he preached this message, it cut them to the heart. They weren't circumcised, but buddy, this cut them. He says, you, your hearts have never been circumcised. Well, he's doing some cutting work on them. And it says it cut them to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. That just means they were infuriated. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. Why did he look there? Because that's where his loyalty was. What did he see? He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. That is his loyalty. His loyalty was with that kingdom. He said, Behold, I see the heavens open. I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord. How does he maintain his courage under fire? It's because he's bold and because he knows where his loyalty lies. Stephen's loyalty was with Jesus. Here they are about to kill this man, and yet he sees Jesus. Oh, those of you in this room, most of you, maybe not all, and if you don't, just listen to me. There's this great story in the New Testament. I, I say great. Actually, it's one of the saddest stories in the New Testament. There was a rich young man that came to see Jesus, and he wanted to know how to have eternal life. And Jesus told him to obey the, obey the commandments. And he says, maybe he was stretching a little bit here, but he says, I've done this my whole life. <laughs> he says, I've kept the commandments. And Jesus says, well, then if you want eternal life, you need to sell your possessions because that's what was most precious to him. Sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and follow me. Why did Jesus ask him to do that? Because he wanted to see where his loyalty lied. And in that story, the rich young man failed. Courage under spiritual fire requires boldness. It requires loyalty. And thirdly, it requires an awareness. You say, what do you mean? And awareness. Are you aware of your surroundings? The, the, the men that watch the hallways for our church and when, that, when they rotate through, those that are kind of watching things uh, as a group, they kind of talk about what do we need to be aware of? They're aware of what's going on in the parking lot right now. They're, they're aware. They, they kind of sit where they can see uh, if, if, if there's anything that happens with the children's classes. They're aware. Well, you say, what kind of awareness are you talking about today? Listen, there's awareness that you've got to have when the devil attacks you. You've got to have an awareness that God keeps his promises and that he watches over you. And when you know that, there's an awareness that is available to you. See, Stephen had an awareness of Jesus even as he was being assaulted. Spiritual awareness. Now listen very closely because we're in a day and age where we are attacked constantly. And we're in a day and age where there's a lot uh, of demonic work that is out there to try to lead people astray. There's some people go to opiates or drugs. Uh, I, I, this past week, I was talking to a good friend of mine, a, a, a black gentleman. Actually, uh, the Charleston, South Carolina story is on my mind because I was talking to a, a gentleman from this church that when that shooting happened, a black gentleman that actually went there and was there uh, with the church when they had their memorial service. And when I was talking to this black gentleman this week, he, he does different ball things, and I've known him my whole life through athletics. And I was talking with him this week, and uh, he, he told me something. We're talking about our community. And he made this statement, and he said, uh, he said, in the Upper Cumberland, black folks and white folks are in the same boat in this sense. Crack 
Now, I didn't know this, but he told me this, and I believe him. He said, crack is killing the black community in the Upper Cumberland, but opiates is killing the white population in the Upper Cumberland. Drugs can give you an awareness, whether it's crack or opiates, and it'll give you an awareness or the devil will get a hold of your life. And you can ask people in this room, when the devil gets a hold of your life through those drugs, if you give him that foothold, he's not going to let go. It's going to take a movement of God to free you from that. Young people, listen to me. When they offer that to you, when they give that to you, you just remember, yeah, that'll, that'll open your heart and it'll open your mind and it'll give you an awareness and it'll give you an awareness that all you got to do is a two-minute search on the Internet and you'll find out real quick. It'll give you an awareness that will kill you and send you straight to hell. You see, there is a spiritual awareness, but it can be good or bad. There's a connection to evil spirits that is not good. You ever feel like we're just overwhelmed? Listen, there's... The Bible says there's a demonic battle. Evil spirits often present themselves as beings of light and knowledge. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen teaches us that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. And the goal of that demon, of the devil, is to lie and to delude. The serpent in the garden tempted Eve with knowledge or awareness of things that were beyond her or Adam's comprehension. And instead of waiting for God to make them aware of things, the serpent offered them a shortcut that he would allow them through this eating of the, the, of the, of the fruit from the tree, he would give them an awareness. When she told the serpent that she and Adam would die if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they tried to short-circuit God, the serpent said, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, paraphrasing, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. The serpent promised a type of spiritual awareness. But that awareness brought Eve and the whole family of humanity great harm. Jesus, my friends, our King, He offers a very different type of spiritual awareness. The Bible says that Jesus knew people. And when it says that, when it says that he knew them, it's getting at something very deep. He did not need any testimony about mankind. He already knew what was in the hearts of people. Jesus does not need somebody to tell him what is in your heart. Jesus is already aware of what is in your heart. Jesus knew, or he was aware, of the hypocrisy of those who would try to entrap him, Mark 12, 14. He had all knowledge of the spiritual forces at work in the world, Luke twenty two thirty one. As an apostle of Jesus, the apostle Peter was also given the ability to see the spiritual condition of others. We see this when Simon the sorcerer is there in Samaria. And what does Peter say to him? He says, I see, Peter is aware through the power of the Holy Ghost, I see that you, he says to Simon the sorcerer, are full of bitterness and captive to sin, Acts 8.23. So here's the deal. There's two types of spiritual awareness in this world. And we have been removed from one spiritual awareness, the kingdom of darkness, and we have been placed into the kingdom of light, Colossians 1.13. Our spiritual eyes, there are these eyes that see 
just the outward things, but our spiritual eyes have been opened through the power of the Holy Ghost, through what Jesus has done, when the blood that was shed on the cross for us, when we embraced this, our spiritual eyes are open to the reality. We are aware of our sinful condition. We're also aware of the grace of God that allows us to see and know the lies of the enemy so we will not fall for them. We are aware when we are in Jesus, like Stephen was. We are aware of the love of God. We are aware of the Holy Spirit power. We understand that we are in a spiritual battle. We are not like those in our community that just go with the wind, that just go with the flow, that just uh, say, well, there's nothing to do but eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. That is not what we believe. We know that we are in a battle and that Satan has a plan. And as 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us, because of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, We are not ignorant. We are aware of the devil's schemes. If you are glad that Jesus has made us aware of both his love and the hatred of the enemy, say amen. Our spiritual awareness is the result of Christ's redemption. In Christ, we are given a new vision, a new perspective. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. So set your heart. The Bible tells us on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And that's what Stephen did. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul is going, and we just read Saul, he's going to become Paul. Catch this. Paul is later going to write a letter. And when he says, because you've been raised with Christ, set your, thing, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul is going to later, this Saul, Paul is later going to write, Set your mind on things above, not on early things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I just wonder, when Paul writes that letter, a few years later, when Saul has become Paul, writes that letter, and he says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I wonder if the Holy Spirit of God had brought to Paul's mind the stoning of Stephen that he was present at, Stephen, who was under fire and yet maintained his courage. And I wonder if Paul was just moved by the Spirit of God to let all the church know what he had learned through that experience when Stephen was stoned. So when the fire gets hot, just lift your eyes up. Just lift it up. Just just raise your eyes up for a moment. And you will see that Jesus has not abandoned you. He is watching over you, ready to receive His children. We know there is more to life than we can see, hear, or touch. We know that there's more to existence than the material realm. You say, how do we know this? Well, I mean, take my neighbors Bobby and Jean. They they love my boys. They don't have to. We're not kin to them. Uh, Ethan and Owen can't give them anything. I mean, they don't need them for money or material things, or they can't. Why, why do Bobby and Jean love my kids? Because there's something within us that knows there's more to life than just what you can, just, there's more to life than a paycheck. And there's more to life than stuff. And sometimes it takes children to kind of remind us of that, that you know what, there's something within us that's made to love other people. And what the devil does is he breaks us down and he makes us hard and things go wrong with people and relationships don't go right. And we forget that we were made for that love. 
And sometimes it takes children around to remind us, hey, and by the way, my boys love Bobby and Gene, and Bobby and Gene aren't. Now, now I will say this. They probably love Bobby and Gene because Bobby and Gene are giving them pizza and cakes. And so, you know, so they get down. I take that back. For Ethan and Owen, it's probably a, there's probably a little selfishness in the love. But see, things like that just remind us there's more to life. There's more to life than just what you can see. There's more than you can touch. There's a deeper thing that's in all of humanity, but the devil destroys that. He makes it dark. And so Peter and Paul and Stephen, they remind us that our existence is not limited to the material realm. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. So you say, how can I have boldness? How can I have loyalty? How can I have this awareness? How can I have these things so that I can maintain courage under spiritual fire? And that brings me to the fourth and last thing. And I've really already hit on it throughout this. If courage under spiritual fire demands an awareness and a boldness and a loyalty. Courage under spiritual fire demands above all else dependence. Say that word after me. Say dependence. What kind of dependence, Pastor? What must I depend on if I'm going to exercise courage under fire? Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. This boldness, this loyalty, this awareness that you need to keep courage up under spiritual fire is not something you can just conjure up. My dad was there in Vietnam and he took those steps that he had been afraid to do and he walked into that dark jungle there with his rifle he was able to do that because he'd had a home that he'd grown up in he'd had family members that he loved he had brothers and sisters that he cared about and so when he stepped out there he had a connection to something else he could it just just didn't just happen there were other things in his life that motivated him that were greater than the fear that was in him that night in the jungle. You say, how can I have courage under fire? There must be something greater in you than yourself. And that thing is God. You must have God in your life. Pastor, how can I have that? Pastor, how can I have that in my life? Look at verses 59 and 60 with me as we start to wind down. It says, they stoned Stephen, but he called upon God. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice. You see, Stephen knew where his power lied. It lied with God. His power lied with the Lord Jesus Christ. believe today that there's some in this room that if you're not careful it'll be opiates that get you there's some in this room that if you're not careful one day you'll wake up and realize I'm a lot more dependent on that alcohol or that cigarette or that marijuana than I thought I was some of you your awareness will be dimmed. You know, what started out just 
continuing to lust after things that you should have turned your eyes away from quickly moves into pornography and then harder and harder things. Some of you today, you're a lot like the rich young man. And you say, I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have those kind of secret sins in my life. And yet the reality is that what you were made to do, which is to follow Jesus, you're just not doing it because you're blinded. And you just can't see that what you were really made for is more than what you can touch, what you can see, and what you can feel. You just won't allow the Holy Spirit Open up in your life the reality that you're made for something far greater than this world. You were made to spend eternity with God and His Son Jesus who is sitting at His right hand. And you will die. And I'll say nice things at your funeral. my heart I'll cry knowing that the Bible says there's only one way to heaven and that is through Jesus my friend Stephen gave them an opportunity to not be like their fathers and they would not listen and they killed him But a seed will be planted in his death that the Lord God will use with this man named Saul that will literally change the history of the world. Will you be like those that killed Stephen and just continue in your spiritual darkness? And today is the seed already been planted in your heart. And when you give your life to Jesus today and when you depend on him for courage under God. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to have an invitation today.